0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. Helping you filter through the noise.
0: Real talk. talk. Black talk.
2: The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit worldafropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. worldafropedia.com
1: You know, what, I, I, I don't like to really talk about the athletes of today in terms of what the commitment was. But none of these individuals, they came from all over the country, none of them got paid. None of them, airfare was absorbed. Right. None of the hotel that they stayed in, they did this on their own. Right. And I would probably suggest if you could get a professional athlete today to fly in to support someone like Ali, you'd have to give him some money. At least. Maybe Put him up in a hotel and pay for his airfare. It's just a different time. We just – just different men at different times. That's all I can say. What
3: was – I mean, again, we – well, I'm just – I'm curious.
1: Obviously, I wasn't in the room at this time. I was 14 years old. But what was it like? What was the tone of the conversation? Because, you know, you 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 got athletes, professional athletes. I think there were some guys there who probably was – they were – a little skeptical. Of course. I'm sure there were some who believed him. I mean, what was was the question? Was it a grilling? Well, I I, I served four years in the United States Air Force Mm. as a cryptographic operator before I played professional football in college. So going to the military, I thought that was my responsibility and obligation. Bobby Mitchell was an officer in the United States Army. Mm. Jim Brown was a captain in the United States Army. Mm. So It was more than just a a discussion about being a conscientious objector and not addressing the the shortcomings of this country. And Ali made it very clear. He said, you know, no Vietnam has ever called me a nigger. Well, I couldn't say that (laughs) like he could say it. But when I was in the United States Air Force, that's all I was most of the time. Mm-hmm. And I know you had the people have them funny discussions today about uh, the N word. I, I, I don't have, I don't I don't support that because when you ask me, don't use the N word. I mean now, never, next. That's the N word to me. Mm-hmm. Nigger to me means nigger. Mm-hmm. So I'm not afraid of it, and I don't re- I don't squirm from it. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't know if this was probably on uh, one of those programs that probably beep it out. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I know what that means, and I know what that is, and I lived that for eighty-three years. Eighty-three years, I've lived what that is. I breathe that air, and uh, oh, and Muhammad Ali made us all aware of it—that we breathe that air. Mm. Mm. There are no sanctuaries, and Joe Lewis, who was another top boxer, mm. Joe Lewis coined another phrase that a lot of young people will know. He said you can run, but you can't hide. So black folks can run, Mm -hmm. but they can't hide.
4: Context of white supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, when Tuesday... Whoa, man, <laughs> rough one, Wednesday, October 4th, 2017, so I have been told, happy birthday, uh, Khadijah, did remember that, happy birthday, long time listener, investor, uh, we will be here tomorrow for Workplace Racism, every Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, Uh, make sure folks are ready to tune in, even though some of the aspects of what we're going to uh, discuss today, I think that would also qualify as workplace racism. But pay attention. Uh, That'll be coming up. Uh, I can also say perseverance, very important uh, with regards to uh, us solving our problems primarily ending the system of white supremacy, but perseverance. I had hoped to get our guest on the program. I've been trying for like uh, a year. I reached out to uh, Mr. Jamal Murphy, uh, who co-hosts Bill Roden on Sports, a segment that we heard to begin the program, in fact, came from Bill Roden on Sports. But I've been speaking with him and trying to get in contact with our guest for today and and kept working at it, kept working at it. Uh, He was helpful, but Finally, it took a year, but finally, we were able to make it happen. You have to persevere uh, sometimes to get problems solved. Uh, but the segment that you heard, Bill Roden, <clears throat> they were discussing uh, the death of Muhammad Ali. This was about a year ago uh, in June of 2016. And. He had a panel uh, of different folks on, but particularly uh, they talked about the photograph, uh, iconic photograph of Muhammad Ali, black and white image. He's sitting. He has Bill Russell. Uh, seated next to him, great Boston Celtics legend. Uh, he has Jim Brown, Hall of Fame uh, NFL football player uh, championship with the Cleveland Browns and all of his years of activist work. Uh, and then sitting next to Jim Brown is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, NBA legend. Uh, and then you have a whole nother row of black athletes who were supporting and on the back row, uh, also on that Cleveland Browns championship team, uh, teammate of Jim Brown, uh, our guest for today's broadcast, uh, in addition to all of his NFL accomplishments, uh, he wrote the book, Consider This, uh, with the forward uh, by the great Jim Brown. We'll be discussing some of that uh, today on the broadcast as well. Really, really glad he could share some of his time and insight with us. Joining us live, uh, the legend, uh, Mr. Walter Beach the III. Uh, Mr. Beach, are you with us, sir?
1: Uh, yes, sir, I am.
4: Outstanding. Thank you so much again for sharing a bit of your Wednesday evening with us. Uh, anything that you would like listeners to know about who you are and what you have done, uh, feel free if you want to give us an introduction, sir. Yes,
1: yeah, certainly. uh I always uh, introduce myself. Or who is Waller Beach the third? And I said, uh, I am black in attitude. I'm black in behavior. I'm Black in belief and thought. I'm African in spirit. I accept and acknowledge the fact of my African self being intuitively and have developed the cognitive strength to function as a Black man in America. As an African Black man, my hypocrisy manifests at silent rage. I must decide what my relationship to racism will be there is no hint of servility in my makeup i have an unbridled love for black people i am a man of peace and love i am a man of my people the more profound question profound question is what is my need to be anything other than a black man and i'll close this little statement with what they call divine utterance from the Hosea, which is an ancient comedic book. I do not speak falsely, for I am great. I do not act lightly, for I have weight. I'm not untrue, for I am the balance. And I do not swerve, for I am the standard. And that's who Waldo Beach is in all aspects of its manifestations to maintain my personal sovereignty. That's it Gus.
4: Context of white supremacy. Um, I guess before we get started, a question that we ask uh, all of our guests to come on the broadcast. uh, I use the term racism and the term white supremacy. I use those terms as synonyms and I use the same definition for both terms. The definition I use is as follows. A global system of people who classify themselves as white and are dedicated to abusing and or subjugating everyone in the known universe whom they classify as not white. Uh, do you think such a system exists? And do you think that's an accurate definition?
1: Uh, 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 yes, of course. I I, I believe there's a, a system of uh, white supremacy and racism and uh, i have no problem with that particular definition uh, i have a, have also heard it uh, definition given by uh john henry clark and uh his his definition is uh uh, not, not, is not that much different. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm very comfortable with it. And I'll share it with you uh, later on in the program.
4: I will remind you, we always appreciate uh, clear definitions of what problem it is we're trying to solve. Um, you, you said when you were giving your introduction, uh, you talked about all of us having to establish our relationship to race, uh, racism. Uh, you, Walter Beach the Third, what is your relationship to racism, white supremacy?
1: Well, basically, what I do, I affirm the essence of uh, uh, my, my complete, total essence as a human being, and I uh, <clears throat> I take no uh, particular comfort in the definitions that's been established by those who uh, uh, see black people or African people. Uh, in a different uh, in a different uh, manner or in a different way, I would say. So uh, I knew I know who I am based on my early uh, indoctrination. I come up in a community in Michigan where my my indoctrinations were such that uh, the uh, the uh, fallacy or myths of white supremacy and racism was always made clear to me. So I, was, I never had to struggle with that aspect of it. So I always knew that, uh, uh, I'll use the word, I always knew that it was a lie. White supremacy is a lie. So uh, that's basically how I was uh, inoculated as a young man. And I came to terms with that uh, very, very early in my development.
4: I wanna talk about Because you and consider this your book. uh, You have quite a few uh, incidents from your childhood in Michigan. But uh, before I get to some of those incidents, when you were speaking with Mr. Roden last summer, uh, they kind of started the conversation and it was about uh, different wines. And you said, I don't drink. And it seemed like there was a stance uh, behind why you don't consume alcohol. But you didn't elaborate. Is there a reason why you don't consume alcohol?
1: uh it's probably a funny reason i'm uh my wife and all uh, the body in my family i like sweets so i could never could consume alcohol because it wasn't sweet it wasn't like kool-aid I, you know i need i always needed a lot of sugar so that's kind of funny way to, to deal with it so i never liked the taste of alcohol so i never drank i never smoked uh Just something that never appealed to me that 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 was that was basically I had no religious or spiritual uh, aspect other than the fact of uh, I'm always conscious about what I what I put into my body. So the body temple to me is very sacred. So uh, um, I take care of it.
4: Well said you are 84 years old. Is that correct? That's, That's correct. Taking care of yourself great investment in self care um I think thank you in the book you say repeatedly self neglect is self abuse uh, i think you state that correct right.
1: that's right you're right right evidence 80-
4: abuse. absolutely evidence is right here 84 years old and still going strong um now getting to some of the things that you endured uh particularly some of the things that you endured as a as a black child uh growing up in michigan <clears throat> I was stunned. Uh, you talked about it. You didn't go into detail, but you talked about it on the incident, uh, excuse me, on the episode with Mr. Roden last year. You said um, that my mother had to put me in a dress in order to save me from being lynched. And you do talk about this in detail and consider this. Can you explain to our listeners why you had to be placed in a dress to be rescued?
1: Uh, yes, I was uh, uh, it was Mounds, Illinois. And and I was about uh, nine years old, and we'd go to Mounds, Illinois, because that's where my mother was from, and we'd go down there to stay with our uh, with our relatives. And uh, that summer, uh, uh, some uh, and and I don't know which which particular term you refer to uh, white people as Caucasians, uh, Europeans, or, or or white people. So, but some white boy come up to <clears throat> to my cousin and told my cousin that uh, uh, he was very fast. He could run fast. And my cousin, of course, said, well, my cousin can run fast too. So we had a race, and I won the race. And uh, after winning the race, the the white boy said, niggas should not be able to beat white boys running. And like I said, nigger has always been an offensive term to me. And uh, as a nine-year-old, and very emotionally, I, I hit the young man and and uh, uh, kind of beat him up. Uh, and to me, it was just an incident of nine-year-olds fighting. <clears throat> when we got home, my cousin and I got home later that evening, uh, my mother come up to me because some people had come to the house, the ministers and some other people had come to the house, and they were having a discussion, and I knew not what the discussion was about. Then my mother <clears throat> asked me, "Did I what happened?" And I said, "Well, nothing, you know, because to me, nothing had happened." She said, "Well, did you get in the fight?" I said, "Oh yeah, we ran a race, and I won the race, and the white boy called me a nigga and I hit him, and blah blah blah." That was uh, that. Uh, so to me, it was kind of an an an, an innocent situation, and uh, so uh, they got busy putting uh, uh, when the group came. Putting me in my sister's dress and taking me and my sister back to Michigan, and that was that was an experience that I had, <clears throat> and and did not really know know uh, the gravity of it uh, uh, <clears throat> until later, you know, to later on when I understood what that particular <clears throat> system uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, expect from black people, and not. Uh, <clears throat> Being totally clear about that, as a nine-year-old, it became more and more obvious, and uh, that's <clears throat> that's why I say that in, in my earlier statement. Uh, I don't have any illusions about this country, uh, so uh, I'm, I'm 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 clear, <clears throat> and uh, I always thought, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, that. Uh, uh, that, that clarity is, 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 is very, <clears throat> I'm sorry. what well, I should <clears throat> just get in the room <clears throat> You
4: want to take a moment to get some water or. No, I
1: think I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to be all right. My, my, my throat just got a little parched in. but no, I, I just always thought that, you know, clarity is very important.
4: I say something we definitely appreciate uh, on the broadcast here. Was that, Something that you said you didn't at the time as a child, you didn't recognize the gravity uh, of the situation. Uh, Is that something that you talked about with your with your mom or your siblings later on?
1: Sure. With my father, my father was uh, when I said the gravity, my my father had a statement. He told me, he said, don't he said the things you can't anticipate and the things you can't control. Don't worry about it. That was my dad. And he said, especially if death ain't on it, you don't worry about it. Well, for that particular experience, I didn't know death was on it. That's what I, that's what I mean when I say, I didn't, uh, I didn't grasp the whole understanding of it. And I had no idea that uh, when two young men, nine, 10 years old fight, that uh, one of them could be lynched or lose their life. I mean, is that a normal expectation on this planet?
4: Uh, under the system of white supremacy, I would say, for a black child, it could be, uh, depending but on. That's
1: the point I'm making. That's mm. the point I'm making. That's, that's that the, the the banality of racism is uh, is the evilness of the of the particular system. Is that uh, 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 so? So so that was all I meant when I said I didn't understand the gravity of
4: it. Yes, sir. Wow.
1: But uh, since that day, and here as. Uh, uh, 2017, I very well know what the gravity of what uh, certain experiences are.
4: Mm. In the book, Consider This, uh, the chapter Folly, uh, you talk about an episode where you just, again, doing something pretty trivial. Uh, skipping a day of school, uh, frolicking uh, with some of your classmates. Uh, You were a senior, uh, closing in on graduation. I think a few few, uh, seniors in high school have been known to skip a day of class. Uh, Not the end of the world, not something that is going to devastate your academic career. So you write, uh, this is on page... 47, bottom of 47, you write, so your parents, they have to accompany uh, young Mr. Beach uh, back to school in order for him to get back into class. So he writes, uh, the following, following my one day suspension, they did what was asked of them and accompanied me to school to meet the principal. At that meeting, Mr. Thor sat behind his bulky desk and explained the reasoning behind our suspensions. While I don't remember his exact words, I have a clear recollection of his demeanor and tone of voice. He showed absolute disrespect and contempt for my parents. The two people I admired most. His disgraceful approach to my parents hurt me immensely. My heart ached as I witnessed my folks sitting quietly taking his abuse because of me. They longed for me to graduate, so they respectfully bit their tongues and listened, weathering the storm. Anger turned to sadness while my mom and dad remained frozen like little school children. Mr. Thor continued to exert his pompous power as my parents bowed their heads, and it was all on account of me. We were keenly aware that he had crossed the line in exercising <coughs> his authority. And yet, my bewildered parents refused to call him on it. They were afraid and speechless. They clung to the belief that they could avoid damaging my future by remaining silent. I'll stop there. Uh, this event, the result, you ended up dropping. Uh, oh, go ahead. Did you, did you have commentary? Go ahead, Mister B.
1: No, no, I'm, 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 I'm you know, I'm, I'm very interested because, interesting because, uh, uh, you, you've, uh, you, you've read the book. And 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 that thorough uh, aspect of it. And and as a as a 17, 18, 19 year old when you're in high school, you wonder why uh, our people, uh, uh, our parents uh, care so much for us that they are uh, afraid to uh, uh, address certain aspects of being disrespected. And uh, uh, but like I said, I went from K to 12, and I love school. I was I was more than an adequate student at school, and I was more than a, an adequate athlete. So I loved school. But uh, we took a, I took a little liberty with a couple of us, and we went up to Flint because it was a young girl up there named Rose May, Rosemary Rosemary Nafair that I liked. <laughs> so it didn't take that much uh, 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 coaching to get me to go. But to sit there and watch my mother and father uh, have this white man could have been a black man too, with the same attitude, Uh, talk to them in that manner, angered me. And it's the only time in my relationship with my father where he did not uh, want me to enter the house. Because at that particular setting, I got up and left. I removed myself from that situation. And when I got home that evening, my dad said that I could not come into the house. And of course, uh, he and my mother had a a discussion and she was crying. And finally, uh, I did enter the house. And uh, a few days later, I joined the United States Air Force. So I did not graduate from high school. Subsequently, I got a GED and of course, you know, went on the college, high school, college and law school. But uh, that was uh, that was an incident that also rang true uh, in, in my experience. And, uh, and I found it kind of interesting because my father never went to the movie. And the reason he didn't went to the movie, there was five movies in Pontiac. And as a kid, you know, we'd go to see the movies, you know, they used to have chapters of, johnny mcbrown and the cowboys and all that and again part of my uh, uh, uh understanding is that we're always pulling for the cowboys and not the indians uh that's probably that's probably part of that psychological and conditioning but anyway my father i said well when will not go to the movies he said i don't go to the movies i said well daddy why don't you go to the movies he said i refuse to give someone some money for me to be entertained and i have to sit in the back of the theater in the balcony so hearing that all the time and this is this is a part of uh, of, of my reasoning hearing that all of the time i thought that was uh, a form of hypocrisy after coming out of that particular uh experience with the with the Principal, because my dad was—he was—he he didn't take no nonsense, and uh, he didn't have no particular care <clears throat> or or like in terms of white people. That that wasn't his, that wasn't his role. So I always thought he was a strong black uh, uh, African man. But in that principals meeting, I didn't understand what hypocrisy could be, how you could take a position in one place and then don't take the same type of stance or position in another place, but for a different purpose. So the purpose that he accepted that was to benefit and save me from the whole aspect of what he would he viewed would be a negative impact on me. But really the negative impact on me was him not being a black man not me not graduating, because I didn't think it was that important, although it was, of course, and subsequently I did uh, uh, complete the education. But I would completed uh, high school anyway, because this took place in, May I think sometime in uh, in May, and, and, and I was gonna graduate in June. So he, uh, he was just upset. But uh, no, I, uh, uh, I've i had an interesting life, and I've had a... a, a, a a reflective life, and I think about my life, and I look at my life, and I look at my people's lives. So I'm I'm constantly, you know, uh, 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 in, involved in that aspect, and I try to get some control over uh, what I cons- would consider uh, in the in the racial relationship, self-indulgence, because I've always fared well in the United States of America as a black man. But that's a form of self-indulgence. So it was always difficult for me to see what was happening to other black people and for me to feel comfortable in their abuse. I never felt comfortable about that. And that was why uh, I was always expressing and articulating how I felt about race when I was playing professional football as well as uh, uh, when we were uh, talking to Ali, and a lot of things that people misunderstand about Ali, Ali was really not asking any of us for permission not to go into the military. All we were trying to do was to support him. But even if we had not supported him, he was going to take his particular stand because he was an ethical and moral man, and he was and he was dealing with it on on principle. And today, uh, what I was saddest about is that when Ali died, all of the people who kind of boosted up and said how much they thought about Ali. In 1968, they didn't have that attitude about Ali. White folks wasn't impressed with Ali. All them congressmen and senators and that went to the funeral and all of those individuals talking about what a great man he was in 1968, that wasn't their position. It was a black nationalist, militant, Muslim, and they didn't like it. So that's part of, uh, and and I know you, you mentioned to me, that's part of what Neely Fuller was talking about. And Neely Fuller, and I know you know Neely Fuller's position. He said, if you do not understand white supremacy and racism, and how it works, everything else you understand will only confuse you. And that's the type of clarity that I'm talking about. I'm not confused. I'm not confused. That's that's what I'll say.
4: Context of white supremacy. Uh, Tweet the broadcast. Let folks know. Walter Beach the Third visiting us today. You can dial in and get a question. Uh, NFL champion uh, Walter Beach the III. Uh, I know you certainly did not mince words uh, when Muhammad Ali passed last summer uh, talking about the hypocrisy. Uh, the person who gave the eulogy, former President Bill Clinton, what were your thoughts yeah, on Bill Clinton giving the eulogy?
1: Yeah, I, I was just saying... I was just saying that we go for, we always go for the okie doke as a people. We always, we go for the okey doke as a people. One of one the, the metaphors that, that I use, uh, Gus, you don't mind me calling you Gus, do you?
4: Absolutely not.
1: Okay. The, the metaphor that I use is uh, the bull fight. The bull is constantly doing what? Attacking the cape. He's, he's always attacking the cape and as he's attacking the cape the picador not the matador the picador is sticking spears in him and he's constantly attacking the cape the cape and once he's been wounded and about to die and on his knees he recognized it ain't the cape that's causing this it's the matador and the picador now he wants to run over the matador but it's a lesson too late for the learning and that's the way i see some of our experiences as black people in america lessons too late for the learning we're trying to integrate into a system that was established on genocide and racism and an all-intensive purpose, and I know a lot of people may not agree with it, but it's a criminal enterprise. Imperialism, colonialism, capitalism, criminal enterprise. If not, then you and I, Gus, can go into, where are you, in Seattle? Yes, sir. There might be a house in Seattle that we like. We get our, our ammunition and guns and just go take it. Or can we do that? No, because if we did that, that would be a crime. But we're looking at something. We're looking at a criminal enterprise and we refuse to address the realities of it. And in those realities of imperialism, colonialism, Capitalism, deeply embedded in that is racism. And all I'm saying, those are unassailable facts of history. So we get mad at people when they start talking about history. I'm not saying this, history's saying this.
4: context of white supremacy again, Mr. Walter Beach III. uh, Just before you were one of the athletes, along with Jim Brown and Bill Russell, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, others who supported uh, Muhammad Ali, his stance to not be drafted uh, into fighting in Vietnam, uh, you had been talking about expressing your views proudly, staunchly uh, against racism uh, throughout your career. Uh, can you talk about when your, your tenure with the Cleveland Browns before you all won the championship in 1964? Uh, Art Modell, uh, he's since passed away, but the white uh, owner of the Cleveland Browns, he had a problem with your choice of literature?
1: Yeah, well, let me go back. I was I was drafted by the New York Giants, and I was released by the Giants, and I went to the Hamilton Tiger Cats up in the Canadian League, and then uh, uh, Lou Saban the young man now is, 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 I think Saban is the coach of, uh, uh, of uh, Alabama, one of in big school. But anyway, he was a child when I, his dad uh, brought me into Boston. So I played two years in Boston. And in the, uh, the beginning of the third year, we were, they were trying to integrate the, uh, 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 the NFL with uh, 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 teams in the South and they were gonna bring the New Orleans Saints into the league and the Boston Patriots at that particular time, the Boston Patriots. We were to go to New Orleans and participate in, a, in an exhibition game. And when we when I got to the to the rooms, we had uh, 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 the the itineraries were different for the black players and the white players. So I I I made a point of that with some of the black players, and I said we got to have a meeting. I said they got us staying here, and then the white ball players were staying in a different place. So after that meeting, uh, we we they asked me to be the speaker, uh, and 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 the, the black mem- members did, and uh, and I expressed our, our our concerns about that, and uh, uh, management took it under uh, under advisement, and the next morning they gave me a plane and per diem and sent me home. So I didn't that was I, I didn't play football that year. They sent me home, and uh, and I. Uh, 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 I then tried out for the Browns as a free agent. And when I tried out for the Browns as a free agent, I became a member of the team. And we were going to Los Angeles. Now now we're in Cleveland. We we're going to Los Angeles and we we're on a plane and I was reading. I'm an avid reader. I love to read. Uh, I spend most of my time reading even today. I'm not a voyeur. I don't watch televisions or things of that nature that much. But anyway, I'm reading a book. And uh, Mr. Modell, the owner of the Cleveland Browns, he came by uh, walking through the aisles and he asked me, he said, well, Walter, what are you reading? I said, showed him the book. I said, am reading this, The Message to the Black Man by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. He said, well, I don't want you reading that book. And uh, I said, okay. And he left and of course I continued to read the book. So maybe about half an hour, 45 minutes, he came back through And he said, you're reading that book? I said, yes, sir. He said, these are the exact words. I thought I told you I didn't want you to read that book. And I said, you did. I said, but I thought you were joking. He said, no, I'm not joking. I said, Mr. Modell, you must be joking. A man can't tell another man what to read. You own this football team. I'm on this football team. If you don't want me on this football team, when we get to Los Angeles, give him my flight, uh, my ticket back and I go. I said, but don't you ever think you own me and you can tell me what to read. And Of course, that was the end of that discussion. I played subsequently, played uh, another four years, but I never had another discussion with him. Professional football, and and we started off uh, about this. Professional athletes, if you, with the Warriors or with the Cleveland or with the Rams, football is what you do. That ain't who you are. Football was what I did, but that ain't who I am. Now, I don't know, and I say that because people talk about today as opposed to, I don't know. I ain't never got a million dollars or $2 million or $20 million to play football. And I guess a lot of people say, man, if they gave you $20 million a week, you wouldn't be saying all that stuff. I said, I don't know whether I would or not, but I believe I would. Because, again, this is my dad talking. He used to tell me, "Say, boy, you make money. Money don't make you. See, that's what I'm talking about, indoctrination. That's how I was inculcated from a man who said, man, money don't make you. you got to be a decent human being. And that other stuff, and man, at 84, that's when all that kicks in. When you're 17 and 18 years old, and this is the last ter- this little story I'll tell you about, Gus. When I was 16 years old, my father told me something. And you know what my response to me was? I told myself, I said, Daddy don't know what he's talking about. And when I got to Germany, the United States Air Force, when I was 20, an incident occurred, and soon as I saw it, you know what I said? That's what
5: Daddy was talking about.
1: See, I hadn't experienced it, but he had. And he said, when this go down and it go down like this, this is what's going, this is, this is the reality of the truth of the situation. So sometimes you get messages, man, and you don't really know where they fit in in your life. But my father's message to me has always been that. Boy, if you're going to be on the top, be the top of the top. He said, if you're going to be on the bottom, be the top or the bottom. See, and the one thing that he taught me: said, man, you can't be scared." I said, "I'm not afraid." That's just the way that I was reared, and I'm comfortable with it. And hopefully, individuals who who love and 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 share and care about me are also comfortable with it.
4: Context of white. Supremacy. Uh share the broadcast on social media. Let folks know Walter Beach is with us. Dial in if you have a question you'd like to ask. Uh how long was it before that separation policy where black people had the inferior lodging and whites got to stay in the nice air conditioned spiffy uh hotel? How long was that how long was it until that policy was changed uh in the NFL? Uh I, I'm not I'm
1: I'm not I'm not certain. But when I went with the, when I went with the when I went when I went back,
0: it, 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 it,
6: it when I
1: went when I went to Cleveland, I never experienced that. We were never we were never separated. Hmm. We all we always stayed in the same hotel. This, this was an incident that occurred when I was with the Boston Patriots before oh. I got to Cleveland. I see. So I, I'm not certain, when So I don't know if when Boston changed that or what what went on in, in that situation. That was just my, uh, uh, an isolated experience
4: that I had. I see. Because I know in the book, you also talk about it was another uh, practice where they would keep even numbers of black people and white people on the teams. That way you would always have a black person roomed with another black person. So they, you know.
1: You oh, went... yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we, we yeah. They they, they, they did, a, we, those were, those were the, the, they did a lot of stacking or quotas. Uh, uh, even when I was with the Browns, you know, we always understood when we start counting. If if uh, and and the Browns usually carried a, a larger number back then of black of uh, black players than anyone else. I think uh, in '63 uh, uh, we had 12 black members on the team. But the, what was always in it? We always knew to say, "Look, because everybody got the room together." So, <laughs> and and this is funny. So if you were worried about the, whether you're going to make the team, what you did, you start counting. And you'd always count number one where well, you know Jim's going to be on the team. So then who's going to be number two? Well, number two would be Wooten. Jim and Wooten is two. Then, well, who's going to be number three? And it just might be I'm, – I'm, I'm, we, well, let's say the number three is going to be uh, Charlie Scales. Well, who's going to be number four? Ernie. Ernie Green. So when you got – it was always kind of funny. So when you got to the odd number, they got close to being a uh, uh, time to uh, make the final roster, people be trying to figure out where you're going – who's going to be the next one to go. Well, so-and-so's going to stay. Now who's going to be next? So that that's the quota system that they had when when I initially went into the Cleveland Browns. Uh, that, that That's one of the policies. And everybody knew it. Everybody knew it. Everybody knew that it, there was – It was a quota system. It's going to always be an even number.
4: Mm. Did, uh, (laughs) I was thinking with art Modell and him kind of chastising you about reading a message to the black man, uh, be asking questions. I know Mr. Fuller talks about that. What's, uh, what's incorrect about this book? Like I would have loved to have heard him explain why you should not read this book. Like what exact problem, uh, is there with the text? Um, you also, in the book, you kind of put this in the context of things that were happening in this time period. Did uh, did you go to the March on Washington in '63? No, I didn't. didn't. Okay. What were your thoughts about that whole event?
5: Well, no, I, I thought it, I thought the the uh my
1: um uh, I didn't go, with my son went. Okay. Uh, I don't have I don't have a, 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 a an affinity for large for large gatherings of crowns. I have uh I'm, I'm claustrophobic. Mm. So I don't like elevators and airplanes, you know. I ride on airplanes, but I got to get a special seat right near the front, right in the aisle. And uh, large gatherings like uh, like that. Uh, I sent my son, but I was I, I was going to be part of that kind of a a gathering, but I thought it was a a a, a wonderful opportunity for, uh, for 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 black men to get together. Uh kind of disappointed uh, uh, uh uh afterwards because it didn't lead to uh the the, the type of uh, consistency necessary to uh, uh to address the evils of, of of racism and white supremacy it kind of filters out like 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 we all do like it like most things do into uh, specific organizations or groups uh but not to, not a not a collective aspect of how you address uh, what the principal evils are, uh, uh, as to our people, not to individuals. Individuals are gonna always rise, gonna always be. Some individual is going to uh, going to prosper.
4: Exactly, but they have done a great job making sure that black people collectively uh, have not prospered that is not supposed to happen in the system of white supremacy what do you what do you make of the current particularly given you know your background and standing with muhammad ali and his stance to not be drafted uh and and what you endured as an nfl player what's your perspective on the current protest with colin kaepernick starting with the kneel downs last year and then everything that transpired over the last few weeks after donald trump's comments
1: well um you know i like i like talking I like talking to you and talking to people like you especially who understand our experience uh, I know what time it is uh Kaepernick standing because uh, uh of that of of the national anthem the national anthem is the national anthem it's just not our national anthem and 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 uh, uh part of 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 uh, uh, of what his what he had done has been uh, what i want to say i want the whole movement's been hijacked now that you know they they're locking arms and and they're doing all of the things but Kaepernick was talking about police brutality and uh you're not hearing any discussions about that you're talking about their I, that's part of that magic man what, what I think that the, for me what I think Neely Fuller is always talking about if you don't understand how it works everything else you understand will only confuse you Kaepernick said I'm standing because I object to young black men and women getting murdered by the police and you have not heard a word about young black men and women getting murdered by the police you're talking about First Amendment, the Constitution, uh, veterans. Hey man, they, the magic is deep. They know how to play the game. They know how to keep you where they want you to be, what they want you to be thinking about. Suppose all them people, that that's all them football players and basketball players and soccer players and baseball players who are locking their arms, why don't they go to a police precinct and lock their arm in protest against, and especially in Cleveland where I come from, a 12-year-old boy getting shot in eight seconds without a gun? Over 1,500 people been murdered by the police, and there's only been 19 uh, uh, criminal charges brought, and none of the 19 of the criminal charges have been found guilty. So, I mean that. Those are the, th- and that's why I said earlier, man. It's uh, that's history. He said, "This ain't me just being angry or upset. All I'm doing is quoting some facts of history." But history is hard on some on 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 on, uh, on, 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 on some people's reality.
4: Absolutely, um, while wow. and for Tamir Rice, absolutely. Uh, I I completely agree in terms of I have not heard commentary about racism over the past uh, few weeks. It's deviated to everything but discussion uh, of racism. Uh, What are your thoughts when because another way I think that they've diverted this is to say, well, oh, you know, this is an affront to the military. Uh, You, in addition to winning a championship and playing in the NFL, you served in the Air Force. What are your what are your thoughts when you hear people say that taking a knee during the anthem or not standing—that that disrespects the people who serve in the armed services.
1: No, it, it does not disrespect the people who serve in the armed services. In, in fact, what I think it does is a form of celebration to the people who served in the military, because that's what they serve for. Part of part of their part of going to the military, is saying we got some rights here that we want to protect. And other nations and other countries don't guarantee these rights. But we're going to protect the rights. But we only protect the rights. And I'm gonna say this because we only protect the rights, that's for white people. White people got a right to say what they wanna say. They got a First Amendment right. If you try to exercise your First Amendment right, then something is wrong. You become a, 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 a pariah. You don't like uh, uh, the military. That's, that's that's part of that. That's part of that, that, that nonsense. We just, and and any man's death diminishes me. So therefore, when there's a massacre, I'm, I'm very, very disturbed by that. I don't want to see anyone killed. So the other night in Las Vegas, they had a massacre. And if you go on, if you listen to the news uh, commentators, they said it's the greatest massacre that's ever existed in America. But they don't say that in 1917, 200 to 500 Africans got killed in St. Louis. That in 1919, in Arkansas, 850 black people got killed in Tulsa, 300 to 3,500 got killed, black people. In Rosewood, in 1923, 150 black people got killed. So how could what happened the other night be the greatest massacre in the history of this country? See, if you pay attention, what they're saying is, what they're saying is, when you kill white folks, we consider those real terrible massacres, but when we kill black folks, Michael Joe, Michael, uh, uh, what is his name? Michael Jackson had a song out. They don't really care about us. This is just arithmetic, man, and that's why I'm 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 sharing the opportunity. This is just arithmetic. This is just history. You can count the numbers. See, So once you understand who you're dealing with and what you're dealing with, and and I told you what uh, uh, John Henry uh, uh, Clark had, had said how he dealt with it. So uh, you you uh, you you come to terms with it. Mm.
4: You and your book for the people who just and even if folks recall, I think they made a big deal on the end of last week. Uh, they had a big speech where they were talking about we're not going to tolerate racism uh, in the armed services and if you have those views get out and oh this is great this is the type of talk that we need people being forceful uh, and i put that even with all of the commentary about people saying if you take a knee you are disrespecting the troops i said well i think that ignores mm-hmm. you have a lot of black people who serve uh in the armed services mm-hmm. and they practiced racism against a lot of black people who served in the armed services, both while they were serving and once they got back, uh, including Walter Beach, the uh, third you write in the uh, in the text, you include an incident. This is on page 89 of Consider This, uh, where you had been called a nigger, not the N-word, uh, and you resorted to counter violence. You struck the racist who called you a nigger, and then you were confronted uh, about all of this. So two other Uh, Soldiers, they come in to to question you about why you struck this other soldier. And so you write, this is on page 89. uh, He called me a black nigger bastard, I said. The two air police looked at each other. Each had a silent smile on their face. The one leading the investigation asked, what if I called you a black nigger bastard? At that moment, I knew This investigation was no longer about my striking a fellow airman. It was about my refusal to be called a nigger. Then I'll hit you, I said, trying to maintain my bravado. When in truth, there was fear on the inside. Something in this non-commissioned officer snapped. No longer was he a man representing the United States Air Force. He'd become a monster a white man ready to teach me my place. His face literally inches from mine. He said Boy do you know what we do to black folks down here? We hang them. I will stop there for our military and equality among the uh amongst the troop. Was this, you know, common in your military experience, this sort of flagrant racism? No, 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 that
1: that was the that was the experience I had. But but to show you the other aspect of it, uh, and uh, uh, the, the 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 rest of it is a uh, uh, Corporal Collins, who was a who was a Caucasian, a white officer, a, 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 a white officer, my drill instructor. About that time, he came into the barracks, and he said, "What's going on in here?" And the airman, the air policeman, explained it, and he put them out. He said, "All right, I'll take care of them. Y'all get out of here." Y'all get out of here. And then Corporal Collins called me in to the little cubicle in the back, which was his little office. And he called, he said, Airman, he said, if you hit everybody down here in Texas, they call you a nigger. He said, you won't have a fist. And it was enough humor and understanding into that that it dis- diffused the situation but then i was brought up on charges
4: what was, so what, uh, uh, what was the outcome of the charges
1: well the outcome of the charges was that uh <laughs> that uh, the, the airman that i hit and myself went before a colonel uh, uh, uh and and the colonel heard the disco heard the story and the other, the other individual that I hit denied the fact that uh, he had uh, called me that name. And the colonel said, uh, well, first of all, this man is not as large or as big as you are. Why would he just come up and hit you without you saying nothing? Well, I mean, you were just standing there and he just come up and hit you? Well, the guy, you know, went through the abba-dabbing about that. So... Uh, I was, uh, I was put on, on KP duty, kitchen, kitchen duty. So I had to wash some pots and pans for a couple of days. So they didn't bring no legal uh, military charges against me.
4: Was he reprimanded in any way? The racist who called you? I have,
1: I I have no idea what the outcome of his situation was.
4: Okay. Okay. You, in your, in your book, you write about filing a discrimination suit uh, EEOC charge against the NFL uh, and saying that you felt like you were facing uh, discrimination. Do you think uh, just based on evidence, do you suspect that Art Modell or other folks were deliberately trying to make sure that you were not? Oh in- yeah. I
1: won, I won that. I won that case. All right. <laughs> Can you tell us I about brought, it? I brought charges. I brought charges against the national football league and the Cleveland Browns for blackballing me. And, uh, uh, uh I'd been like I said, I'd been the uh, the the cornerback for the Cleveland Browns, starting cornerback. And it, it now that I think of it, is it's not that much different or dissimilar, but Kaepernick. So I wrote every team in the National Football League, offering my services. So when they put you on waivers, that means that they no longer want to maintain uh, 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 power over you, and, and you're no longer their property. So they put me on waivers, which means that I was free to negotiate or go somewhere else and play. And what happened when they put me on, on waivers, several teams picked me up off of waivers. The first team was the Atlantic Falcons. They put me on waivers, Atlantic Falcons picked me up on waivers, but then the Browns withdrew the waiver. So then, then, the next time they put me on the waiver, the Detroit Lions picked me up. Then they withdrew the waiver, and we went to court. And I went to court. So we got evidence when we went through uh, discovery. We got evidence that these other teams were willing to p- take pick me up off of waivers, and uh, the, and that the, the Browns. So I won. I won the case. I got. I got back pay. Paid, and then I got the, my years of, uh, of, uh, of, 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 of services uh, to six years. So they gave me, they gave me the, the three years that I didn't play. So, so I won that particular case. But uh, uh, that's, uh, by and large, that's uh, what Kaepernick says. There's no way in the, in the world that Kaepernick could not play in the National Football League this year on somebody's team
4: hmm do you think so we're
1: talking about, we're, we're talking about a, a an evil system man right? hmm
4: do you think it was because of your politics you reading message to the black man what have you that led to them saying hey we want to make sure we can keep beach out of the league if we can
1: i have no idea what what, what their particular reasons were you know i just know what the outcome was
4: hmm hmm do you think after do you think Kaepernick will be allowed to play at some point, or do you think he'll be permanently blackballed?
1: I, I like I said, I, uh, I I have no I have no idea. If you if you look at the larger context too, it's a little different than for me in terms of my understanding. It's a little different than just playing football. So if you understand capitalism, capitalism is a, is, is an economic system that, that that's predicated upon capital, uh management, resource and labor. So if you got a club and you got some owners and they can't control uh, individual players, then that's, that's an economic problem for them. And I'm not talking about economic problem because maybe some white people are going to protest if he played, or, or, or some black people will also support him so that that might equal out. I'm talking about what, that, what the institution of capitalism requires. The, 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 the institution of capitalism requires those who are the bosses with the capital are the rule. the masters they are the masters so the slaves can't just anytime the slaves don't want to stand up or maybe a slave just don't uh, 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 want to go to uh, 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 another another city then the master leaves control over his ne- economic investment. so that's the economic aspect of it, not just the player professional player aspect of it yeah. so if you're going to be a you you got to maintain that system and that's and that's what it's about and the biggest struggle that we we have to constantly address is the maintenance of white supremacy and racism and i know you've read uh, 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 neely fuller's book that's what he talks about how they maintain it
4: Absolutely. We talked about it four stages of of white supremacy. Uh, I did. There was another question I wanted to ask, and this does relate to something I've heard Mr. Fuller address as well. Uh, When you won that championship team in 1964, uh, you intercepted Hall of Fame quarterback Johnny Unitas uh, on the way to a shutout victory, 27-0. Is that correct? Yes, correct. Okay. When you got your interception, did you, you know, do a handstand and slide around on the field, do, do any dances at the championship oh, game? No, man.
1: No, no, I, like I said, I, I don't watch too much football. But like, like I said, I was, we weren't clowns. We weren't minstrels. Now, I don't care how many of these cats get upset about that. But all I did was play football. If I intercepted a pass, that was what they was paying me for and I did the best job I could. If I made a tackle, that's what they paid me for, i do the best job I could. If I intercepted and ran one back for 65 yards into the end zone, that's what they paid me for, and I was doing the best I could. I did not dance. I was not a dancer. I was not an actor. I was a professional football player. Now, that's just my personal assessment about playing football. Like I said, I don't watch much sports but I do not like to see guys get up and jump up and dance and clap their hands because they made a tackle. That's what you get paid for. That's your job. So why are you celebrating? Now, how many young men, and I'm going to give that to you. And, and, and it's really not a rhetorical question because I want to get an answer for it. how many defensive cornerbacks. That's what I was. When somebody throws a touchdown over them, how many of them dance? <laughs> I why haven't dancing, seen Yeah. Why don't you dance, yeah. why, why don't you dance when, when, when somebody catch a touchdown over you? See, that's all that show. That's that, like I said, I'm, I'm old school. I'm 84 years old. So I know a lot of young people are going to say, well, ain't nothing wrong with dancing. Well, I, I, they weren't paying me to dance. They were paying me to cover somebody, and I covered them. And if they caught a pass, I walked off of there with my head down. Because I felt bad that I didn't do my job, and if I intercepted the path, I felt good that I did my job. But I didn't need to dance. I'm not a minstrel. I'm not a clown. I'm not going to make some gyrations, sexual movements with my body, so you can put a camera on me. That ain't who I. That ain't. That wasn't the way I viewed the game. But there are guys that do that. And if they do it, like I said, these are young kids, and whatever they see, they want to do. Then you know they let them do. And I ain't mad at him. I'm just saying I don't do that. Mm. I didn't think that I don't think that's right. But that's just me. Other right. people think that it's cool. Have Other you think they cute?
4: I heard I heard Mr. Fuller talk about this specifically and he applied it to racism and some of our conditioning, talking about black people. The question I wanted to ask, I, I even have a little audio segment of Mr. Fuller saying this. So I wanted to play it for you and get your thoughts. But the question I wanted sure, to ask sure. is in terms of like what happened with Leon led at the Super Bowl a few years ago where he was running down, they had a big lead and they were going to win the game for the Cowboys. And uh, he was I think he started celebrating at about the 20 yard line and he ended up getting caught tackled and he fumbled the ball right at the end zone, lost it. Uh, they still won the game, but I mean, it's just one of those type moments where somebody is. Uh, yeah, is it, yeah. you, I, 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 I
1: don't know anything about that incident, but I, was, I really would be pleased to hear Mr. Fuller. I've read, you know, I read his book, the compendium. I have it. In my library oh okay but the, i just i love to hear I, I love to hear his voice oh well i've never it, i just read his work
4: it's coming right up the the question wasn't about that play specifically the question was have you ever seen a white football player at the collegiate level or the nfl level start celebrating at like the 25 or 20 yard line and then fumble the ball or get tackled before they actually scored have you ever seen a white football player do that No, I haven't. Okay, I'm trying to ask football legends now, or anyone who watches football, I have never in my life seen a white football player, collegiate level or NFL level, start celebrating at the 20 or 25 yard line and then fumble the ball, lose it. I have seen black players do that all the time. It happened three times just last weekend alone <laughs> in the NFL no less where people get paid lots of money where they started celebrating at about the twenty 20- fumbled didn't even score the touchdown in some cases they lost the ball some places uh the other team i mean the uh fellow offensive player recovered but totally messed up the play because they started celebrating at about the 20 neely fuller jr he talked about this specifically and i think he noted too he had never seen a white player do this he's only seen black players do it this is mr fuller talking about it and we'll get uh mr walter beach's comments afterwards neely fuller jr about black nfl players celebrating
7: But you take even the football players. I mean, you know, the white people know it so much about us that they, you know, make restrictions on it about the football game, even though people say it's just a game and all like that. But they are saying, you know, that it sends even a deeper message. It goes to show you how primitive we are. Because the black guy, like I saw a black guy do that, a ball play I forgot what team he's on. That was this year. I think I may have mentioned it to you before. I mentioned it to somebody. He's running down the field with his weaves and whatnot. I mean, trailing behind him. You know, I mean, I know struggling to be a man. Just so, you know, struggling to be recognized. That's what the weave's all about. Mm-hmm. Pay attention to me. That's what that is. Drop what you're doing and stop what you're doing and look over here and pay attention to me. So now, when he's carrying a football down the field, and he was making it, he was out running everybody. Mm-hmm. And when he got near the end of the goal line, people were, he could see the people jumping up and down, the ladies in their skirts and whatnot, the pep squad and whatnot, the cheering squad—they jumping up and down. I mean, and oh, he's grinning and running, and he ran into the end zone. And ran out of the end zone, I mean, and jumped right into the crowd up there, like we do. But he threw the ball down before he got in the end zone. <laughs> and the people were screaming and yelling, I mean, you idiot, would not. And he's still running and grinning, because he wasn't aware that he threw the ball down.
2: Mm-hmm. And that's the
7: story of black people's lives <laughs> in the modern day since they took the chains off. Too wow. quick to celebrate and haven't done nothing but dropped the ball. In fact, threw it down. <laughs> Concentrating wow. on a celebration more than the accomplishment. And that's the story of our lives.
4: Neely Fuller Jr. concentrating on the celebration more than the accomplishment. Uh, now you've heard him. What What are your thoughts, Mr. Beach? I,
1: I have to say, I, I you know, far be it for me to not agree with uh, 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 Mr. Fuller, but I, I, I agree with with, with that aspect, that that characterization, and it comes out of a, 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 a very. Um, uh, complex aspect of uh, what you know what what basically i i i call functional schizophrenia behavior i think that uh uh, that uh uh, black folks uh, are quite often function in a schizophrenic manner they say they like pepsi but they're drinking coke they say they say you know they say they say they say say, uh, uh, one thing and you come out of when you come out of a situation for there's not a lot of love given to you you come out of a situation where uh, there's a great deal of poverty orientation and then your expectations be- get school Get skewed. You begin to, you, 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 be you, you begin, like he said, you begin to celebrate around things. You don't need to celebrate. I always, uh, one of the things that I believe that's kind of consistent with what Mr. Full is talking about is that if you, uh, uh I call it, uh, a personal term that i use i call it cloaking i say black folk black brothers men they cloak all the time they're always hiding if you uh, if and, and i don't know uh, i don't know what your experience has been but these are my experience out in the street brother when you meet a, when you meet some brothers in the street they got more more women love them based on what they believe than who actually have those connections We always want things to be bigger, or we can show ourselves bigger than what we are. And that's because we've been kind of conditioned to those artificial situations. Those are artificial situations, you know. And like he said, you know, your purpose is to get the touchdown. But if you have some kind of skewed thought process, then that skewed thought process is your purpose becomes to celebrate. And sometimes you forget what the mission was on, what the mission was about, and we have to keep focus on what is the mission so for black people to me, the mission is freedom. The mission is not uh, uh, to be integrated into a, a particular uh, a particular situation so 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 uh, 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 are, are we to say that uh, our lives were, controlled by the dominant paradigm of racism and white supremacy still exists. Guy told me the other day he said man you ought to be pro- you ought to be glad because you're better off than your father because that's what all the progress black people have made. I said, but you have to understand my position might have changed, however my condition, hasn't changed we don't run nothing i don't own nothing we got brothers uh some guys talking about we're gonna claim the word nigger and white people can't say it we go and i'm saying here we got some black cats talking about claiming a word nigger and we develop no factories no car industries no technological come but we want to claim some nonsense we want to do all of the dancing and show people we can do those things. That's where I'm in agreement with uh, uh, Mr. Fuller.
4: You and Mr. Fuller, you all are about in the same age range uh, in about mid-80s. mid, mid 80s. He was in the Korean War. I think you all have probably a similar uh, trajectory uh, in terms of something. Yeah,
1: yeah, I didn't go to the – I mean, the, I was in the Air Force, so I went to Germany during the Korean conflict. And like I said, I was I was a I was a, I was a cryptographic operator, so I used to for and decipher coded messages, uh, uh, and I had a top secret clearance. And my and my father and my uh, uh, uncle told me said uh, uh, when I told them I was going to quit school and go into the air I mean into the army. They said no, going to the air force, and uh, course, they're going to give you a battery or test. And I took the battery or test, so I was. Uh, 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 sufficiently competent to to, to 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 move that way through 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 the military but uh, yeah we're about the same age cuz uh, I I just didn't go to Korea he
4: was on he did radar uh he was on a radar site in uh Japan in the air force i think he used similar logic uh what uh,
1: yeah, he... uh, yeah, uh, yeah 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 RSM radio uh, radio a uh, radio squadron uh, RMS uh, a radio mobile squadron. That's what I was in too, but I didn't do the radio. I did the, like I said, I enciphered and deciphered uh, cryptic messages, but that's that's the kind of unit I was in too, uh, a, a radio mobile uh, 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 unit.
4: I see. Context of white supremacy. Again, our guest, uh, Mr. Walter Beach, the third folks have a question you would like to ask uh, his time, the summit uh, with Jim Brown, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Muhammad Ali talking about his uh, refusal to be drafted or his thoughts on the current protests. uh, His book, consider this what we've been talking about for the hour. uh, Feel free to chime in the number six, four, one, seven, one, five, three, six, four, zero. And the code, five six four four, pounds Press star six if you would like to participate. I see a few folks dialed in with a hand up, trying to get our questions as we go. The person who dialed in, uh, 4243, is this red in Ohio, no less? Is this red in Ohio?
2: Yes, and um, thank you for taking my call. Um, Thank you, Mr. Beach, for coming on the show. I just had a few questions. Uh, more pertaining to your life in Michigan. Um, the first question I had was uh, when I was younger, my great grandfather, he would have been in his um, late 90s, had he, if he were still alive, he would speak about um, him and his father seeing basically like Klan marches um, marching down the street. And um, like Gus said, I'm in Ohio. And I was wondering if you have ever seen anything like that or encountered anything like that, maybe up in Michigan. And then the second question, also basically about my great grandfather. Um, He, there's like a rivalry. I'm, I'm not sure if you know of it. Most people from Ohio and Michigan know. There's a rivalry between Michigan and Ohio, and typically people who are born in Ohio, they like Ohio State. Michigan people, they like um, the (laughs) Wolverines. So, yeah. So, um, but my grandfather, he was born in Ohio, but. He didn't like Ohio. And he said his reasoning was because Michigan, um, when they actually started um, having black players, they would at least give their players some some time on the field. And he had also said that was probably the reason why they originally were the ones who were winning most of the games during the beginnings of the rivalry. Um, So those are the uh, and I just wanted to know if maybe you had heard of anything like that. Um, And those are my two questions. Thank you for taking my call.
1: Okay, no, no, I thank you. Uh, first of all, I asked the first question. Uh, my grandmother, my grandfather from Franklin, Tennessee. So uh, uh, when I was a young man, uh, my grandmother, my grandfather, my sister, uh, and my mother, when we would visit Frank Franklin, Tennessee, we sit in the dark and the reason we were sitting in the dark, there were some Klan rallies passing through, uh, passing by the house out out on the road. So, as a young man, I saw the Klan, but I never had no particular contact with them. And uh, uh, that's the that's, a, that's as uh, that is as close as I I I, uh, I got to seeing the Klan. But I want to also share that before I go to the next point about Michigan, is that. My grandmother in Franklin, Tennessee, her name was uh, Ola May Beach. And uh, Ola May Beach, because my grandfather, of course, married her, but she was aware prior to that. My grandmother used to tell me when I was in Michigan, when, we, when she was in Michigan and I was 10, 11 years old, she used to say that she was the only black woman that could walk on the wooden sidewalks in Franklin, Tennessee. And I'd asked her, I said, well, granny, why were you the only one? She said, because your granddaddy had a bandolier across his chest, a shotgun and a pistol. And he walked in the middle of the road and said, my wife will not get off of this sidewalk, the sideway walk for anybody and walk in the mud. And she said, this is my grandmother. She said, she called me June. She said, June, I just strut up and down to what you call. She said, because Beach, that's what she called my grandfather. She said, because Beach didn't play. Said he's not getting off. And in that town, Franklin, Tennessee, my grandfather had the reputation of being crazy. They would say, Beach is crazy. Because he walked the street with a shotgun, bandolier across his chest, and a pistol. And that was what I was talking about earlier when I started this discussion. When I was talking about indoctrination, or inculcated. So that's that's kind of what I come out of. But now to get to your other point about the University of Michigan, I just left my son two days ago in Michigan. He graduated from Michigan. His wife graduated from Michigan State. My grand my my grandson is at the University of Michigan now and uh, my niece my oldest daughter's daughter graduated from the University of Michigan so I know not that I don't know that much about the the, the, the kind of rivalry that you're talking about because I, I I graduated from central Michigan University in Mount Pleasant so I have no uh, particular knowledge about that uh, that that rivalry rivalry.
5: Right
4: on. Appreciate that, Red. Uh, Let's see. Caller, I think this is Thomas in New York. Uh, If you had a question for Mr. Beach, your line should be open. Thomas in New York, did you have a question?
6: Good evening, Gus, and good evening, Mr. Beach. Um, I do. I have three questions. Hopefully I can get them all in. Um, As a former football player, professional football player, uh, what do you think would have happened if the NFL players, instead of um, nailing last week, decided not to play at all, um, just took that day off, um, didn't show up at the stadium? What do you think uh, the ramifications would have been?
1: Well, you know uh, uh, that that's an that's an interesting question. Um, I have no idea what the outcome of that would have been. But one of the things of, 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 about the about the, the uproar or about kneeling is that uh, why people are upset, and it kind of suspect. For me, I kind of suspect that most of it is talking about if if you hire Kaepernick and he kneel, then people ain't gonna come to the game. Again, what people ain't coming to the game? White people would, may not come to the game. Black people come to the game, but if you got if you if you got a a, a market of seventy-five to eighty percent of players who are black, then they're in no lesser position than the owners to demand that they be respected. But I have no idea what would happen if 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 uh, if you could garner that kind of uh, intellectual courage and energy to do something like that. It would be interesting to see what the ultimate outcome would be.
6: Okay, um as a former as a former professional athlete, um well no, okay, um sorry, as the same question. Um, in my opinion, um the NBA players, um, due to their collective bargaining agreement, they have a lot more power than other black professional team sport athletes. Um and um, the stance the NBA players took during Donald Sterling incident and now you see um, Lebron and Kerry and other players. So I'm talking about this um, Donald Trump incident. Um, how do you view their actions?
1: Well, well, I think I, th- I think that uh, both of them are are uh, the two of them uh, are standing are, are standing firm. Uh, and I think that they got they got other players who are who are outspoken. I said, but the real thing that bothers me the most and I'm going to say this because the president Donald Trump Donald Trump said you should get rid of those son of a bitches now I know what a bitch is a bitch is a dog Bitch is a dog, and a son of a bitch is that if he's referring to those players, not only has he demonized them as human beings and individuals, he he demonized their mothers. That is vile, that is barbaric, and that is the president of the United States of America. Can't call nobody a bitch. Can't call my mother a bitch. See, and I don't know a question that you didn't ask. What would those players do if Mr. Trump had called you ought know, to get rid of those niggas? See, niggas are created word. White folks created the word, they constructed the word nigger. So we're not in any position or under the obligation to deconstruct that word. We didn't construct it. I ain't never been a nigger. I ain't never been a son of a bitch. But if there are people on this country that believe that and function out of that, then I have very little respect, and contempt for them.
4: Do you have one more question, Thomas, in New York?
6: Oh, yes, I did, Gosh, Thank you for your answer, sir. Um, once again, as a former athlete, um, when you look at the endorsement money that gets thrown at the athletes today, um, and you look at how much more the corporations make than the actual athletes, um... And you see, um, I know you said you don't watch television too much, but um, there's a basketball player um, named Lonzo Ball and his father, Lavar Ball, and they're coming out with their own sneaker. Um, and uh, what do you think about the athletes um, owning their own products as opposed to signing a deal with Nike or Gatorade or whatever other um, corporation making their own? Uh, what do you think about that? And I'll mute my line. Thank you, Gus.
1: No, 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 no. Uh, that's the, in fact, the, the, that's the essence of capitalism, isn't it? You, 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 you look, uh, Mister Ball. Like I said, I don't know, I don't know anything about him. But if he's got his his sons and and he's he's selling his sneakers, in fact, people should rejoice at that. He should be selling his own sneakers. Why should, Nike do, why should Nike do it? He should be signing his son's check as opposed to Nike signing his son's check. And then Nike walking away with uh, 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 millions of dollars in that industry off of those shoes. Now that, that, and I don't know why anyone would be opposed to that in a capitalistic society. That's just good economics. Makes sense to me.
4: Okay. Uh, the person that dialed in, I think you are on the vote line. Did you have a question for Walter Beach? You should be with us.
5: Hey,
3: how's it going, uh, Gus and uh, Mr. Beach? How are you today? Right, Portland. Right. All right. That's great. <laughs> um, so, Mr. Beach, my question was in regards to uh, CTE. Uh, that is the brain disease or brain condition from repeated head injuries. Um, just looking at the evidence, um, it's it's getting hard to dispute the fact that football is causing brain damage to the people that are playing it. Um, and knowing that a large number of black boys are currently engaged in high school football, and some are even starting football as young as age five, and even the research out of that is showing that they, uh, you know, these males, they're coming under severe head trauma in their early developmental years. Um, And just the side effects from all of this lead me to believe that maybe football um, might not be the best course of action for young black boys anymore. It's looking like um, it might be changing uh, the behavior of some of these boys from repeated uh, head trauma. So I, I would just like your comments on that. Like, how do you feel about, um, as a community, us uh, still partaking in football, knowing the dangers of the sport now? Thank you.
5: Well, sir, first
1: of all, uh, I understand. I understand the issue. I have no insight or no, no knowledge about what uh, uh, the uh, physical uh, brain impact that it's having on athletes. I mean, I I haven't followed followed that. But, but as uh, someone who's concerned about our community and uh, uh, mental health as well as physical health is uh, is a primary concern for each of us in the community. But uh, I wouldn't be in a position to say that young men should, should or should not play football. Uh, hopefully uh, this evening, uh, based on the fact that I played football, I hope y'all don't think I got brain damage. <laughs> But I have no idea about the results of that.
3: Okay, I see. Uh, thank you. Appreciate
4: that. Appreciate that. Uh, the person that called in last four digits uh, seven seven two two seven seven two two. Did you have a question for Mister Beach? You should be with us. Yes. Thanks uh, to
0: the host. So. Yes, Mister Beach. My question was, I have three questions. My question was, uh, I can't hear you. Uh, yeah,
4: you're your a Can you hear me? There was a little distortion. Can in you your hear line. me better? Go ahead, try it again.
0: Okay. Yeah, can you hear me now? Is that better?
4: That seems a better. A little better.
0: Okay. Um, your statement that you made earlier regarding the mission to the freedom uh, do you think that there is constructive value in non white or black people? Um, watching sports, do you think that there's any constructive value in Black people watching sports?
1: Constructive value in watching sports?
0: Yes. Well, yeah,
1: what, 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 uh, do I think there's any value in
0: it? Yeah, do you think there's any well, I, constructive I said... value getting us towards toward freedom, the mission of freedom?
1: Uh, I'm sorry. Do I think that there's any value people who are watching sport that it leads toward freedom
0: yes black people specifically non-white people black people specifically
1: okay okay (laughs) no Not, not 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 if that not if not if that's the the only particular activity that you do that would lead you to freedom then watching sports would be diametrically opposed to leading you to freedom. Hello. Did you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Yes, sir. No, I mean, I mean, if you're going to watch, you watch sports and and it's going to be entertainment and you're trying to get uh, uh, out from all of the pressures of the day. Well, listen, I don't see anything wrong with that. Like I said, I don't watch sports. I'm not a, like I said, I'm not a television watcher, but I don't see anything wrong with it. But if, if if watching sports, uh, uh, if which is a supposition contrary to fact, but if watching sports was a mechanism or a strategy or a tactic to freedom, then watching sports would be okay. But other than that, I don't I don't see how it would it would uh, uh, manifest in some aspect of developing black people's freedom by watching sports.
0: Thank you for your answer. Uh, my last question is, you said that you were an avid reader and you probably have read more books than I likely might might ever read, but what two books would you recommend um, for all uh, victims of racism to read, or what two books did out to you over your lifetime?
1: Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. Let, 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 let me just try to take you on a quick on a journey. If we're talking about uh, uh, what I would talk about, I, I deal with a lot of meta, metaphysics. So I'm a metaphysician. So if we were if we if we were talking about metaphysicians as in, metaphysics, I would suggest the Kabbalion. And if we were talking about the uh, 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 philo- philosophical aspect, I would say the Prophet by Cahil Gebrian. And if we're talking about like we're talking about race now, I would say Neely Fuller's book on uh, 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 on, on racism. Amos Wilson, uh, Milana Karinga's book on uh, 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 um, Kemet. Uh, I could name a lot of books because, like I said, I read a lot of books. So it really would depend on what particular genre we were talking about if I was naming books.
0: Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I'll take my call offline.
4: Yes, sir. Okay, thank you. Caller at one five five three. One five five three. Did you have a question for Mr. Walter Beach the third? You should be with us.
5: Yes, hey, how you doing, Gus? Mr. Beach. Um yes. my question isn't um, anything to do with football. Um uh when when I try to introduce uh, friends and family to get a better understanding of racism, as I'm also learning. Um, and I introduce them Francis Chris Welts and Gus T. Renegade and he's full of um, and more, um, I get the response. You know, are you trying to? I'm not. I'm not trying to hate white people. That's my. That's their response. They think that I'm trying to get them to hate white people. In your day, do you think that in your earlier days, black people were better equipped and had more knowledge of racism than my generation of today? And by the way, I'm 38 years old.
1: Well, I, I, it's a, it's 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 a it's a good question, but it's an interesting question because uh, uh, I don't know, and I can't speak for for, for 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 other people. But one of the things that I was saying earlier that I was far more conscious of uh, of, of race than I think a lot of young people are conscious of race now. And, and and by that I, I uh, 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 and and, and I, I wanted to share sh- share that with you. Uh, uh, when we played foot when I played football with the Browns, and I told you it was twelve of us. And if it was twelve of us. We went to practice, and we would uh, and it was two a day or wherever we went. We went in uh, four cars, three of us in each of the cars. And we would go to the stadium because we were always kind of functioning as a as a unit of black people based on the aspect of the of the culture or the society we were in. So uh, I can't recall of incidents where we thought that uh, uh, we were honorary white boys. And I can't think of any inst- instance where the white ball players thought that uh, they were uh, black and militant. So we had a firm uh, 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 identity on, uh, on who we were. And and it was, it was the self actualization of, of, uh, of, uh, of who we, of who we were. So when it, when it, when it got down to uh, 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 dealing with uh the affirmation of self-hate, I mean, the young people you're talking about, young people you're talking about, y'all call each other niggers and call that terms of endearment. Y'all accept a negative uh, 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 creation of who you are and try to sanitize that word as opposed to being the reality of it. So uh, I was in a program in Seattle about uh, a year ago, where a young man, black young boy, said white boy, come up to him and said, "Is it all right if I use the word nigger? Cause you use it all the time." I mean that that you know, like I said, that boggles my imagination. But I ain't thirty; I'm eighty-four.
5: Right.
1: So so uh, so that, if if if, huh? if if that's if that's how y'all if if that's what you view as uh, being part. Of a, of, of a system and you've surrendered to it. And let me say this, we come through a middle passage. We come through slavery, come through the black codes. We come through segregation. And we did that through an African tradition. And now we're gonna to surrender to that to be part of a system that takes the most derogatory term that's ever been created about us and we're going to embrace that term, not only embrace it, celebrate it. That's why I said that's the affirmation of self hate. That's the best I can respond to that, sir.
5: Um, Thank you. Um, my, my last question, and this is, uh, words of, words of advice, um, being though that, I, that I am on my 30s, um, I do believe that there is an assault on manhood. Being though I, I don't have any children, I have cousins, I have uh, nephews, Um, how, how how can I or my generation step up to the plate and just be better men? Because I feel from what I see, from my limited uh, vantage point, that um manhood is lacking amongst my peers. Well,
1: what what it requires to be a decent, moral, and ethical human being, that's the requirement. Manhood. So if you're a man, then that's what you're trying to affirm. You're trying to be an ethical uh, and moral human being. You want to be clear about who you are. You want to be competent in what you're doing and you want to be compassionate in dealing with the people you're dealing with and you want to have a commitment, but what it requires more than anything is courage. See, I call it the five C's, clarity, competence, compassion, commitment, and courage. You got to have the courage to, to stand. Now, let me say this, there's, a, there's a, something that my wife likes uh, for me to quote in, in some of our reading, and it's by William Blake. And William Blake says, uh, when the whirlwind, what is it, when the whirlwind of fury comes from the throne of God, who can stand? See, what I hear a lot of young people saying is that, man, you old school and you don't know what's happening. When I was a kid, stealing was stealing. When I was a kid, lying was lying. When I was a kid, cheating was cheating. Killing was killing. Has that changed? If you're a moral and ethical pe- person, that's what you're trying to do. And then once you understand right is right, right don't wrong nobody, and wrong don't right nobody. So if you want to be a man, you have your ethics that you stand to, you stand up. But the thing is, is like he said, when the whirlwind of fury comes from the throne of God, who can stand? The whirlwind of of fury came from the National Football League because Kaepernick kneeled, but he still stands. He's accepting the consequences. So if you're going to be a man, you accept the consequences and your responsibility, take care of your family, your children, your wife, your people. That's what it requires. So I don't think you will be in any danger. I think you'll be able to do that. You know what's right and you know what's wrong. You know when to say yes and you know when to say no. You know what's right. I bet you any situation that that I could construct right now and share that situation with you, you you could pick the right and the wrong out of it. And then all you do is move to the right, do that which is right. That's the best information I could give you because it's the same information I function and operate on.
5: Thanks thanks a lot. Uh, Gus, thanks for taking my call. And and by the way, I'm I'm standing with Kaepernick. I haven't looked at one football game all season, and uh, I'm contemplating never looking at another football game in my life. Uh thank God. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh we'll call her at five one
4: three six. Five one three six. Did you have a question for Mr. Beach?
7: Uh yes, thank you, Gus. Um uh, yes, Mr. Beach. Uh what um uh, what president did you serve under when you was in the military?
1: Oh man. You done stump me. <laughs> I don't know the pre- <laughs> oh, I think it was Eisenhower. I think Eisenhower, Eisenhower, Truman was the president when I was in the military. I'm not certain.
6: Okay, um, I
1: must apologize because I'm apolitical. But I think oh, okay. it was Eisenhower. Who
7: Who was the most racist from Eisenhower all the way all the way up to um, Trump? In your opinion, Who's the most
1: which president was the most racist?
7: Yes, sir. Who, who was, who, which president from from your your lifetime that you that you feel was the most? Oh no,
1: racist? I, 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 I would say I'm indifferent to that. I wouldn't be trying to, uh, you know, the devil and Satan's one of the same, right? So I wouldn't be trying to evaluate who's the who's the who's the who's the, work, who's the m- most racist president. So I'd have I'd have, to, I'd have to reach. that.
7: Thanks for answering my question, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Mm Gus.
3: Appreciate
4: that big victim. Uh, for the folks, if you had a question, please don't wait till the last minute. I think we got all the hands, at least the ones that I see for now. If you have a hand, uh, six, four, one, seven, one, five, three, six, four, zero, the code five, six, four, nine, four, three pound press star six. If you have a question for Walter beach, the third uh the last little bit of time that we have you I I definitely wanted to ask you and speaking with Bill Roden last year you were talking about some of the hypocrisy that you experienced uh you said that one of your sons that he said, "Hey, dad, I don't talk about religion. I don't talk about racism and you express some frustration uh, at your son and even maybe some other black people who say, Hey, I, I'm done with that. I don't talk about racism. You know, that's, that's old school. I don't, I don't even bring that sort of thing up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, 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 that was a discussion. Uh, uh, and I was just with him the other night, but he's come to a different position on that now.
4: Wow. What has because, changed? Uh, uh, well, I, uh
1: his, his just developed a, a level of consciousness about that and uh, uh so so it's so easy to 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 escape and 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 and, and not want to deal with the the, the truth uh, and the reality of a situation because it's far more comfortable See, it's comfortable if you don't have to address anything but all of the all of the good things that happen and what I was sharing with with uh, uh, uh my son and why I was upset because he, he graduated from the University of, of Michigan and now he runs a, a, a program, uh, uh, the, the SMART, the bus program in, 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 um, in Michigan. Uh, but the point that I was saying is that he graduated from the University of Michigan and if he was going to abandon or be co opt about race, then he didn't even know the reason he was at the University of Michigan. Because there had to be individuals who protested and did things to get black people into the University of Michigan. So it was, it was, it was just not something that uh, uh, he happened to be the smartest black guy to ever go to the University of Michigan. No, people suffered to get you into the University of Michigan, and people of black people in your race suffered. So now how are you going to take a position you don't want to talk about race? To me, you don't want to talk about race. Race is implicit in every aspect of humanity on this planet. Every aspect of is there. And like I said, there's no hiding place. Joe Louis said you can run, but you can't hide. And look at the black people who try to hide.
4: Jay Simpson might be on that list. Oh, I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, well, I'm I'm you know, I'm I'm just saying I'm not saying that 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 Oprah was trying to hide. But she went to Switzerland and she couldn't buy a bag because white woman told her she didn't have no money she couldn't afford it. Now this is the richest black woman on the planet, and I'm not certain, but I'm kind of suspicious that the white girl working in the store didn't have nearly the money that. Oprah had. So what is that virus? What is that virus that they respond to? And I I, uh, I I call it the I call it the Pavlovian response to the demonization of non-white people is the primary impetus of racism. It's Pavlovian. Sometimes I don't even know if white people know they're responding as racist. Because it's part of the condition. It's in the air they breathe. It's in the water we drink. It's in the milk we get. It's in the toast we have. It's everywhere on the planet. And this is not a hyperbole. Go somewhere and you go somewhere on this planet where you think. I had a friend to say this, and I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say this. Uh, uh, I had a friend. He's he's passed deceased. He said he was in. Alaska, and while he was up in Alaska, now this is back in the in the 40s, he said in the 40s he was in Alaska, and one of them uh, 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 Eskimos or any Indian, Indians called him a nigger, and I said, what did you do? He said, I just said, the word gets around. <laughs> he, said, he, said, he said, the word gets around. I'm way up here, I'm way up here with some Eskimos and igloos. They know what that is,,
4: you know. <laughs> they didn't say the n word, wow, wow, no no, no <laughs> uh, that's great though that and I think that's important for for listeners as well, because that was just last year that was last summer, the same conversation right after the passing of Muhammad Ali when you were saying that your son or one of your offspring, he had taken that position that he didn't talk about race, and then a year later, that position has changed. That's why I see on a regular basis. Uh be patient, uh especially with racism white supremacy, because if that is true, white people will probably remind that black person that racism is a problem and is something that you're gonna have to deal with head on. Uh you can run, but you can't hide, as you said. Um, you also wanted to get a, a word as well quickly, um are well not quickly, but I wanted to get a word You talked about how frequently I think a part of the psychology of white supremacy is that we seek out white people to validate our experience. Uh, We want a white Bill Clinton at the uh, eulogy for Muhammad Ali. Uh, We'll want a white person to come in and say, yes, you are a human being or you are are someone of of worth. Uh, Can you talk about that and ways uh, that we can use black self-respect to work against that tendency?
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, 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 this this a simple little premise that I uh, that permit <clears throat> me that I've developed and I work with is that I call it ZGR, zero grade reliance. See, all intelligent individuals or human beings understand their environment. If you're intelligent, you understand your environment. So, when it comes to defining who you are, when it comes to defining what a situation is. Well, I'm an intelligent human being. I can think. So what I say is zero G, rely. I don't rely on what someone else says this is. See, and what happens, and, and, and I was just talking to someone uh, 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 yesterday, the Pied Piper can't tell me what I'm seeing. See, we're in a a situation where uh, 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 the dominant society with the dominant concepts and principles, they define what's going on. Now, if you can think, you don't have to accept that. See, I don't have to accept the fact that I'm less than someone else because someone has said that. So basically what I have to do, is to think. Sahatha, the Buddha says, to think is good. To read is good, but to think is better. So when I hear information, I can, I, can, I can process it through my through my brains and come out with the answer. So I don't have to accept what someone else says. I don't need one no one else to validate me. I am who I am. And we are all who we are. See, if we need other people to to give us some kind of standing, you don't need nobody to give you standing, uh, Gus, you know who you are. You can make determinations. And if someone says that uh, 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 this is the greatest massacre in this country, you can add, you can say 52, and then Rosewood, 150. So how did y'all get to 52 being the greatest? See, that's, that's what I call location. They just revealed who they are. You, you've heard of, uh, of, of uh, uh, um, the Trail of Tears? What is it, the, the massacre? Yes, sir. So they killed all those Native Americans. It wasn't 52, it was several hundred. So because you get information from the media Let, let me share just one brief experience with you about personal sovereignty. When I played with the Browns, I pulled my Achilles tendon. So I'd been out, of, I, 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 I'd, I had to wait for it to heal. So it, was, uh, it, it took two weeks for my Achilles tendon to heal. And it was sore and painful. And a week before it got well, before I could play, the coach came up to me and said, "said uh, uh, Walt." I said, "Yeah." He said, "Dr. Eppolito said you ready to go." I said, "No, Blanton, I can't go." I said, "Cause uh, my, 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 I still got pain in my in my uh, my Achilles tendon and it's still sore and tender and I can't push off." He said, "But Dr. Eppolito said you should you ready to go." I said, "Blanton, let Dr. Eppolito go out there and play." See, you can't, authority can't make the truth. The truth has to be the authority. The truth is I'm in pain. So can't no doctor tell a coach that I ain't in pain. So he tells the coach, so the coach won't meet it except what the doctor said. But I said, no, I'm the truth in this, not the doctor. So 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 all I'm saying is that you make your, your, your determination by evaluating and what you are so i'm not going to let somebody and 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 i i wanted to say something but i don't want to say something because i uh i don't want to embarrass my wife who's the light of my life you know uh but but she shared something with me today and we was talking and i said oh wow that's deep i said but that's 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 because of you and i'm gonna say it anyway she she, she, she had, She's an entertainment lawyer, <clears throat> and she, <clears throat> she has artists, and she works with an artist, you know. And we were talking today, and she said, uh, you know, nothing. I met my artist. She just come back from South Africa, and she had an artist that's no longer her artist. And she said her artist was talking to her, telling her how much she loves her and how she feels about her. And uh, she said, out of all the people that I've ever had, I've never had nobody not say that they didn't like me and they didn't uh, 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 appreciate what I'd done for them. I said that's really good. I said, but really, what they're saying that's about you. Everybody can't 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 can walk with that level of dignity and character. And that's what we're talking about. When we're talking about black men and black people, we're talking about the we're talking about the level of dignity and character that we know has been produced on this planet since the beginning of time. Since the beginning of time. So now, why are we gonna look like, you know, um, some time ago, some people said, well, well, Trump's the president. I said, I don't care nothing about Trump. Trump ain't gonna change the essence of who I am and the essence of who our people are. Who our people are. You think that black people in America And the young man asked me earlier who I thought was the the racist president, and I say, I don't know, because I was indifferent to it. But, man, we come through the middle passage as a people. We come through the middle passage, slavery, Jim Crow, the black codes, segregation. And you think because a white boy gets in the president that that's going to have an impact on us as a people? No. Never, man, never. Because they've been doing that for seven hundred years, trying to make us something that we're not, and we still here, as uh, Maya Angelou says, right? We still rise.
4: The late Doctor Angelou, indeed. Uh, we had one more person that dialed in uh, to get a question. I'll uh, make sure we get her hand and make sure uh, we allow Mr. Beach to enjoy the rest of his Wednesday evening. Uh, I think this is princess in Florida uh, princess. Did you have a question for Mr. Walter beach? The third. Hello. Can I be heard? Oh, not princess. My apologies,
3: sir. Yes, sir. We can hear you. No. Oh no, no worries. Gus. Um Just greetings to Gus, greetings to the guests um, and the listeners. This has been a great show. Um, just had one quick question. Uh, just speaking of Trump, um, early in his administration, um, there was a move that surprised me. Um, so I just wanted to get your uh, opinion, Mr. Beach, on what do you think about uh, Jim Brown
0: uh, meeting with uh, President trump? and i' I'll mute my line.
1: okay. Uh, i use I use uh, um, two two uh, two particular words to 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 address that. Uh, I know Jim, I love Jim. Jim is deliberate and intentional. And if Jim had any kind of meeting or relationship with Trump, it was intentional and deliberate to help black people. That's the contribution he's made. I've been with Jim and with his program and for the last 20 years, he saved the lives of thousands of black youth. So, if he intentionally and deliberately had a relationship with Trump, it was to benefit the youth of our country. Jim was instrumental in establishing a, a truce between the Bloods and the Crips in Los Angeles and stopping the ceasefire and saving the lives of black kids. So I don't have a problem with that.
4: Did that answer your question, sir?
3: Yes, it did. Thank you, sir. For
4: sure. For sure. Uh, In addition to winning a 1964 NFL championship with Jim Brown, Uh, He was one of the athletes who stood in support of Muhammad Ali in 1968 when he said he was not going to accept his uh, drafting into the Vietnam conflict. Uh, He writes about that growing up in Michigan, uh, nearly being lynched Uh, in his book, Consider This, uh, the foreword written by Mr. Jim Brown. You can get it online. Great read. And one of those, not very long, might be one of those if you want to encourage, if you know black people that you care about you want to get them to read this might be one uh, because it's not super long it's not super difficult i think you could sit down in a few settings get it done. And it deals with sports. Uh, they could be read about football and Jim Brown. If you know, people that are interested might be one to kind of get them started. And then you can give them Mr. Fuller's book or Amos Wilson or whatever else you'd like to add. Yeah, uh, We so thoroughly enjoyed uh, having you on the program, Mr. Beach. Uh, it was a hoot. Uh, as I said, I had been looking forward to it for about a year and glad we were finally able to get you on the broadcast with us. Anything you would like to share with listeners uh, before we let you go?
1: No, no, no. no. I appreciate everything you said, uh, uh, and and I appreciate your audience. Uh, And if people are interested in the book, they go to WalterBeach.com.
0: Walter.
1: Walter B-E-A-C-H. B E A C H dot com.
4: Put it on our Facebook page right now, WalterBeach.com. And you can see information. You can see the book as well. You can get a copy of Consider This, uh, a lot of the information that we talked about for this evening Again, thank you so much, Mr. Beach. I hope we can get you back on the program to continue the dialogue.
1: Sure, and I just want to—I want to thank you, uh, Gus. And I listen. I want to thank you also for the—I uh, think it was in 2010. You had two women on your program, and uh, and a gentleman—I uh, can't recall—but it was an excellent discussion, and I appreciate what you're trying to do and uh, to to help our, our 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 people and inform them. best you can. So thank you very much and peace and love.
4: I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Mr. Beach. Again, continue to take great care of yourself and we will definitely look forward to speaking with you soon, sir.
1: Okay. Thanks.
4: Have a great evening. You too. Context of white supremacy. Again, our guest for the evening, Mr. Walter Beach. The third. Uh, glad we could have him on the broadcast. Thanks again to Jamal Murphy. Uh, he co hosts uh, Bill Roden on Sports, and uh, I had been reaching out to him as well. He was uh, helpful. Use Twitter for something constructive uh, to help me uh, finally get Mr. Walter Beach the third on the broadcast. I'm going to put the link for his website, uh, which is just his name, www.walterbeach.com, and you can get a copy of his book. Uh, if you would like, uh, if you want to share it with other folks, uh, you know, the folks who dialed in uh, and of our listeners, if you had a hand up, if you had a quick comment that you wanted to get in before we get ready uh, to wrap things up, I'll remind folks we'll be here again tomorrow. Same broadcast time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific workplace racism. I told you, Mr. Beach successfully uh, filed his suit uh, that they were mistreating him, blackballing him, as they say in the NFL, uh, so that he could not play. Uh, and he has more information. Uh, listed in the book. Uh, there's an additional additional book uh, that he cites, uh, Bernie Parishes. They call it a game uh, that gives more information uh, about the case and what happened specifically with uh, NFL owners, white NFL owners, uh, keeping uh, Mr. Beach from playing professional football. Uh, but I'll post his address on uh, the webpage, uh, on Twitter, Facebook, so folks can Check it out. Any of the folks that dialed in that have a hand up, if you had any comment, uh, commentary that you wanted to share before we wrap up, uh, you should do so now. Uh, Anybody? I think Redden, Ohio, should be with us. Uh, Caller 7337. uh, The other folks that are with us, Thomas in New York, any any other folks have commentary they wanted to get in before we wrap? May I be heard? Yes, ma'am. My real
2: quick comment, It actually, it's... It's kind of odd, or I guess maybe it's not odd, but um, when Mr. Beach, when he had made the comment about, um, I think it was his his great grandfather or his grandfather, um, the one who his I think it was his grandfather, um, and how he carried around a, a a gun or a firearm, and how his grandmother was able to walk on the sidewalk. Um, the part that I left out in my story was that with my great grandfather. He had said that him and his father, they would kind of like sit up somewhere high, like maybe like on a hill or something and watch these marches. But the reason why they were not the the Klan people or the white supremacists messing with them was because his father also carried a shotgun. So um, I just wanted to add that. And thank you for letting me um, speak.
4: Indeed. Long tradition of black people fighting back counter violence, Long heralded tradition. Uh, Other folks, anything else they wanted to get in? Any other commentary? I'll get this in. Uh, That photo, the famous photograph, black and white from 1968, that Muhammad Ali is at the front with Bill Russell, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Jim Brown. Uh, There are about 11, 12 different individuals. Might be good uh, to know who at least half, if not all, of the black males uh, who were in the photograph. He, Walter Beach, mentions them uh, in the book. Carl, uh, excuse me, uh, for all the people that are in the photograph, the first black mayor of Cleveland, Carl B. Sp- uh, Carl B. Stokes, uh, and then the players: Bobby Mitchell, Sidney Williams, uh, Curtis McClinton, Willie Davis. Jim Shorter, John Wooten. Those are in addition to everybody I've already named and Walter Beach. Those are all the people that are uh, in the photograph. Uh, As I said, should be important to know Uh, folks who put quite a bit on the line uh, to come out and support Muhammad Ali. Definitely a great illustration of black self-respect. Glad we were able to get one of the individuals from that uh, photo on the broadcast. Any other commentary folks wanted to make sure they get in? Uh, Folks who had a hand up, anything they wanted to get in before we wrap up?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, may, may I proceed?
4: Yes, sir. We can hear you.
0: Yes. Um. Wow. Mm-hmm. Black self-respect to the nth level. Um, I was extremely impressed by the guest, and uh, specifically when he spoke about Jim Brown at the end. Um, I've heard a lot, uh, and even I've questioned because I knew a little bit about Jim Brown. I haven't been around that that long to say I know him for decades, but. I've heard a lot of non-white people say disparaging things about him meeting with the uh, president, and to hear for him to end the conversation saying, "Hey, look, I, I I know this brother, and 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 still looking to to find the best in all of us and all of non-white people." I think it's just a great example of how um, I, I've noticed a trend among younger non-white, specifically black youth, to to speak badly, poorly of older. Um, brothers and sisters, and that, and that just is, is, is incorrect. And I think he just showed a great example of it there. So I'm happy that that he ended like that. Thank you.
4: Ashe, I really appreciated that as well. I was, I was hoping the response was going to be uh, BGQ, right, since he was familiar with Mr. Fuller's work. But his response was even better than that, having known him for so long. And Jim Brown intervened when he was fired from the Cleveland Browns. He talks about that in his book. Jim Brown intervened and got him back on the team, because uh, it seemed that they had wanted to get rid of him like way early on as soon. Like this nigga is reading and he's read oh yeah, get him out. But Jim Brown intervened and not just for him and, and the years of work. And I guess if if I was to say one thing, when people have asked over the years, you know, Gus, why do you tell people consistently you don't want to be called brother? Um, people, you know, it's it's endearing and they're doing it for appreciation or whatever it is. I've seen that too consistently where You can be a black male. You can be a black female. You can be working. Seems that you're trying really hard uh, to solve black people's problems and trying to end racism, white supremacy. And then you can have one bad day. Uh, You doesn't even have to be that you did something incorrect. We just don't agree with your stance. It's not like going to visit the president is a criminal act or I think he might have even visited. With Trump before he was actually president. It's not like that's a criminal act. It's not like you're putting heroin in the mouth of a child or something. You do one thing and he's a coon. He's a (laughs) saint. Like I have seen that consistently for so long that it's just not even worth it. Uh, As long as the system of white supremacy exists, it just doesn't take a whole lot. The anti blackness, our self, black self respect has been annihilated and it just doesn't seem to take very much. Uh, to get us bickering and talking bad about another black person, even if they've done a lot of work trying to help black people. So I absolutely, I really appreciated that. And the caller uh, adding his appreciation as well. Any other commentary folks need to make sure they get in before we wrap? Anything
3: else? Hello, can I be heard? Yes, sir. Hey, uh, yeah, I wanted to comment on the story about I think he's, uh, Mr. Beach said his mother putting him in the dress when he was a child. Um, I found that very interesting, mainly because um, dresses in black males seems to be a very prominent thing. And um, I've been reading uh, Dr. Curry's book, The Man Not, and the way he describes the type of sexual violence going on in that in that time period, it seems like the dress was a way uh, to disarm um, her son, but it was used in a way that might make white males um, see the black male in a sexual type of way, I guess, and bring and kind of stop there, I guess, violence. I don't know, but um, I, I just found that interesting uh, and with just putting black males in dresses and I, I really didn't realize it went back that far. So that that was really interesting. there. Yeah. I think that's in Dick Gregory's book as
4: well. That's pretty widespread. I think in his autobiography, Nigger, uh, I think he says pretty early on in the book that uh, he and his male siblings that they had to wear dresses because of poverty, not to escape a, a, a lynching like an acute racism but he said that they wore dresses because they were so poor they didn't have any other clothing to wear uh, if you want something else to read uh, Dick Gregory's autobiography, he just passed people are looking at his life and times that's pretty early on in his book if you want another uh, reference, but it's pretty widespread uh, the dress thing, and I, I just think of it I mean, and it reminded me of uh, listen in Uh, Allison Manswell. She's a black female. She had the book about workplace racism tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern. But she said she felt like she was telling black males to emasculate themselves because you can't speak up. You can't be too loud in the workplace or you're going to get fired. uh, You're going to get in trouble. And she said that she always feels a certain type of way having to give that advice out because it feels like she's having to effeminize them. And it, it seems like there is a long history, long documented history of that having to be one of the ways uh, to survive racism, white supremacy, to effeminize black males. Anything else? Last comment folks need to get in before we conclude? Everybody satisfied? Anything else folks need to, to get in? Everybody's great. Hey, Doug,
6: Question for you, And I have um been struggling with a situation, and I needed um some of your expert advice here. Um, I have uh, someone who I met from the town show. Um, he been emailing and um speaking on the phone, and then one day the person informed me that they are um in a, a tragic arrangement. And um, they they didn't feel as though they would have disclosed that information to me earlier that I would have, you know, kept engaging them in the conversation. You know, you, you, know, you develop, like, a kinship with the person.
5: And I, I just felt
6: like it was very deceptive, you know, and um, the person doesn't feel like this is information that they should be disclosing um, before engaging people, which I, I kind of feel like they should. Um, so I just want to know how you felt about that. Um, what would you do in that situation? And I like the person, but, um, and, and I do think that they, um, are very aware and, and you know, realize that they've made a, a mistake, you know, but however, they're still in that situation and, um, you know, due to, um, you know, children and things, they can't get out of it. But, um, I would well just, how would you, um, what would you think about that whole
4: situation Gus? Uh, No experts here, uh, or at least I speak for myself. Gus T is not an expert. I'm still learning. Uh, That said, um, pretty much the code that I have about anybody that I email people that I converse with who call into the broadcast or if they email me, listeners, whatever it is, uh, social media. Right. People reach out there as well. I don't know. Right back to what I said about the brother thing. (laughs) Um, I don't uh, I don't know who these folks are. It's not like I think. 99% of the people that contact me via social media and what have you, I've not met these people uh, face to face in person. And even if I did, that wouldn't change a whole, whole lot uh, that I don't know these people. It's not like we have some sort of obligation or code. Uh, with each other. Uh, If it was a listener and they were in some sort of sexual arrangement with a white person, that's not directly impacting me. I've obviously made my stance on that clear. But you know, if they wanted to send an email and that happened to be what they were doing, it probably would not change a whole lot in terms of whether or not I responded to an email unless I concluded it was a waste of time, you know, talking to them for whatever reason. But uh, I don't know why that would change anything. If that's your code that people You know, disclose that information upon meeting you, then I would say you should make that known. uh, If it's a non white person, that if, hey, if you are engaged, my code is, that's important information and it's critical enough that I need to know, then the person should know that. That way, at least in my mind, that way you would have grounds to say, like, hey, there's been an infraction. You've been deceptive. uh, You know my stance on this. And you know that this is information that I want. I'm, I'm making this known upfront that you let me know if you're sexually engaged with a white person and then I can decide how. I'm going to move forward in uh, having con regulating, you know, contact with you if at all. Uh, I would say just make that known, but if it's just we're just talking via email or the phone, it's that's Neither here nor interesting, definitely noteworthy, definitely significant. But I mean, that's not something that's going to impact my day to day operations. I would just uh, unless something about that information made me conclude that it was not worth my time and energy to continue speaking with this person. uh, And I could understand if one came to that conclusion. But if that's not the case, if you think the person has, you know, constructive information, you all have been talking and they, you know, they know they made a mistake or I'm making a mistake. You know, you can decide if you want to continue talking to them. Does that make sense? Is that logical or am I, am I talking crazy too? No, you made you made perfect sense, man. And we will be meeting us at the hot springs for the
6: next eclipse, man. I got it. <laughs> okay. I mean, spoke to Lodge. I said Lodge, we're gonna have to rent a car or something and get down there. You know, but um, definitely, Gus. It makes sense, and um, you know, I, I just um, I just feel like going forward, it should be something that that person um discloses, but um. You know, I, I t- totally understand what you're saying, and um, I definitely going forward with myself. Um, I might have to introduce that as one of our questions. You know, I always said if I ever started dating again, you know, like oh something happened with me and my wife, and um, you know, I end up in the date. And that would definitely be a question I would want to know from the female. Like, have you ever with the white guy? You know, like, it kind of gonna, kind of already puts me in a box of you and how your perception is gonna be. If um, everything hits the fan, you have. Um, well, I know that's just not the case. So, but if, if the, it's just the fan, you know, you you have an allegiance to you know white people. You know, that's how I look at it. But thank you, Gus.
4: Indeed, indeed. Well, I guess once you all meet in person, you'll be more informed but that would be my view and you know again that's just the the stance that i take anything that's social media that you don't really know who the people are who people are saying that they are white people certainly are extraordinarily deceptive so i just kind of take all that with uh (laughs) grain of sand pardon the the metaphor i laughed so hard when mr beach was on and he said uh he said, "Do you mind if I call you Gus?" And then he went to his his metaphor. He was he was using a, a metaphor in his uh, description of how black people respond. And I thought he was going to say, "Do you mind if I use a metaphor?" And that's not what he said. He said, "Do you mind if I call you Gus?" But I, I cracked up laughing uh, so hard. Uh, metaphor is very important. Everyone is, is mindful uh, of you know when they are used and if they make sense. A lot of times, uh, the conversation will head drastically away from clarity when metaphors are inserted that's it uh thanks everyone for tuning in i hope it was a constructive hearing from mr beach i know i enjoyed uh speaking with him hopefully we can have him back on the program his address uh the address for his site www.walterbeach.com dot com. The book considers I got the book from my wish list. I remember I got the book uh, it was like February uh, of this year. I got the book uh, and it took me another seven months uh, to get the contact information and everything and call him over the past weekend to get him on the broadcast but had it on my wish list I thought there might come a time when I'd be able to talk to him and it would be good to have read his book. Thank you kindly to the folks who have gotten items off the wish list. Amazon.com. It is under Gus T. Renegade. Thanks for almost 10 years of support investment from Cow's listeners. Uh, with that, tomorrow, Workplace Racism, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Friday, we will conclude France Fanon, the Wretched of the Earth. Thankfully. Whoopee. Uh, and then we'll be here on Saturday. Compensatory call-in, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Uh, I will, again, sobriety would be best glad I got to ask that too he did not have a a political stance behind his sobriety thing although he did definitely encourage that we take care of our bodies Uh, he emphasized that 84 years old I hope I'm that lucid and informed Uh, at the age of 84 is Mr. Walter Beaton he played football for all those years that certainly can't be good for your health and he still seems like he is doing uh, phenomenal Uh, definitely uh, some advice to heed but sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy Uh, We want to make sure our brain computer is operating at maximum efficiency to solve the problems black people are facing and too many examples of race soldiers taking advantage of black people being under the influence. He has that in his book as well. He talks in detail about the uh, Cleveland riots uh, that took place in the 1960s and he talks about how it was black people and they were under the influence, lots of drugs uh, were happening and then white enforcement officials come in and do a lot of shooting, a lot of killing of black people. Even he says in the book, what looks like, what looked like to him, execution style killings. I do not think being under the influence helped any of the black people in that situation and the same holds true in 2017. Uh, If you are going to have to make life-saving decisions, I don't think alcohol, cigarettes, cannabis is going to help you produce a better decision. And certainly if you're in a vehicle, you want to be sober and buckled up. Let's do everything we can to minimize contact with enforcement, of in, uh, enforcement officials, uh, buckled up and sober. That's whether you are the driver, even as the passenger, you still probably want to be sober and definitely buckled up. That said, creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with For tuning in, you so brainwashed.
0: I'm a victim,
3: brother. A victim. Man, I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my condition, mm-hmm. even my conditioning has been conditioned. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky.
2: Lucky in line at the deli, I
1: guess. Uh-huh. in my dentist's office.